Who do you say that I am? Perhaps Peter's reply had the tone of an anchor man on the six o'clock news. Arched eyebrow, half smile, James Bondish baritone voice. I believe that you are the Son of God. But I doubt it. I'm seeing Peter kick the dirt a bit, clear his throat, less swagger, more swallow, gulp, more like a first-time parachutist about to jump out of the plane. Are you ready to jump? he asked. I, uh, I, uh, I, uh, who do you say that I am? I, uh, I, uh, I, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. If Peter was hesitant, you can hardly fault him. How many times do you call a callous-handed nail-bender from a one-camel town the Son of God? There was something wrong with the picture. We used to look at such scenes in elementary school. To keep us occupied, the teacher would pass out drawings with the question at the bottom, What's wrong with this picture? Remember them? We'd look closely for something that didn't fit. A farmyard scene with a piano near the water trough. A classroom with a pirate seated on the back row. An astronaut on the moon with a payphone in the background. We'd ponder the picture and point to the piano or pirate or payphone and say, This doesn't fit. Something is out of place. Something is absurd. Pianos don't belong in farmyards. Pirates don't sit in classrooms. Payphones aren't found on the moon. And God doesn't chum with the common folk or snooze in fishing boats. But according to the Bible, He did. For in Christ there is all of God in a human body. Jesus was not a godlike man nor a manlike God. He was God-man, midwifed by a carpenter, bathed by a peasant girl, the maker of the world with a belly button, the author of the Torah being taught the Torah, heaven's human. And because he was, we are left with scratch-your-head, double-blink-what's-wrong-with-this-picture moments like these, Bordeaux instead of H2O, a cripple sponsoring the town dance, a sack lunch satisfying five thousand tummies, and most of all, a grave guarded by soldiers, sealed by a rock, yet vacated by a three-days-dead man. What do we do with such moments? What do we do with such a person? We applaud men for doing good things. We enshrine God for doing great things. But when a man does God things? One thing is certain. We can't ignore him. Why would we want to? If these moments are factual, if the claim of Christ is actual, then he was at once man and God. There he was, the single most significant person who ever lived. Forget MVP, he is the entire league. The head of the parade? Hardly. No one else shares the street. Who comes close? Humanity's best and brightest fade like dime-store rubies next to him. Dismiss him? We can't. Resist him? Equally difficult. Don't we need a God-man savior? A just God Jesus could make us, but not understand us. A just man Jesus could love us, but never save us. But a God-man Jesus? Near enough to touch, strong enough to trust. A next-door Savior. A Savior found by millions to be irresistible. Nothing compares to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. The reward of Christianity 
is Christ. Do you journey to the Grand Canyon for the souvenir t-shirt or the snow globe with the snowflakes that fall when you shake it? No, the reward of the Grand Canyon is the Grand Canyon, the wide-eyed realization that you are part of something ancient, splendid, powerful, and greater than you. The cash of Christianity is Christ, not money in the bank or a car in the garage or a healthy body or a better self-image, secondary and tertiary fruits perhaps, but the Fort Knox of faith is Christ, fellowship with Him, walking with Him, pondering Him, exploring Him, the heart-stopping realization that in Him you are part of something ancient, endless, unstoppable, and unfathomable, and that He who can dig the Grand Canyon with His pinky thinks you're worth His death.